Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Simple Favor. A Simple Favor was written by Darcy Bell and was published in 2017. And the film adaptation, directed by Paul Feig, came out in 2018. And this is actually not really a patron-requested episode, but... A patron discussed episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have a Discord, uh, a private Discord for all of our patrons where we're constantly having like discussions on, you know, new movies coming out, books, honestly, just anything. But every so often someone will be like, oh, what about this adaptation? Or, you know, things will just kind of come up in conversation, which was the case here. You know, someone brought up a simple favor that it was a book. Yeah. And I had watched it before and thought that the movie was absolutely wild. (laughs) And I was like, I would love a chance to discuss this with Ian and have us dig into the movie. And also I had never read the book. So I was excited to do that. Yeah. I hadn't seen the movie. I had just heard things. I heard that like people didn't know how they felt about it, that they (laughs) thought they liked it. I mean, it had a good Rotten Tomatoes score, but I was very interested to see if the book was as unconventional as the film that it adapted. So we'll we'll uh, dive into it in this episode. Yeah. So let's get into it. Uh, The main character of this story is Stephanie. She is a super mom. <laughs> uh, in the book, she has a blog about momming. And in the... Uh, about momming? I about love About momming. <laughs> <laughs> I just said that without even thinking. No, it was perfect. It was something she would say. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And uh, in the movie, she has a vlog. So she does like little cooking tutorials and just yes. life updates and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Darcy Bell, the author, um, was or is a preschool teacher. Okay. So, you know, I have to imagine that maybe she knows a lot of women like Stephanie. The way, so the book begins with multiple blog entries from Stephanie. I actually flipped through, not because I wasn't enjoying it, but I'm like, is the whole book blog blog entries? It's not. But like the first, I don't know, like 40 pages, you know, is uh, just entries kind of telling you the story up until uh, like kind of the present moment. And the tone of these blog entries as like a mom blogger is so I mean, I, I don't read these, so I can't, I guess, say how accurate it is, but it feels accurate, right? Yeah. Her opening every uh, blog entry with hi, moms. Hi, moms. <laughs> there's so many and there's so many moments of like false modesty or like humble, humble brags bragging. like you know oh i always love as you know moms that i try to give my son a balanced diet or like <laughs> i could mention uh the name brands that i use for this but i don't want to like come across as whatever you like so many ways of phrasing things that are like very funny yeah and i thought worked so well at the start of this book yes and i love her just giving advice um in the movie she's making zucchini chocolate chip cookies (laughs) classic moms trying to trick their children into eating vegetables i love it she has a little remote that changes the The cameras (laughs) which like i watch a lot of like youtube vloggers or like people who make content and i've never seen someone with a remote that it seems very (laughs) impractical it feels very not real (laughs) yes (laughs) uh but stephanie 
you know, from the very beginning talks about having secrets. Yes. Secrets in her life, how everyone has secrets. Yes. And, and she is a widow. Yes. She has a five-year-old son, Miles, and her husband has died maybe two or three years ago at this time. So she's raising her son on her own. I'm not sure if we get this information in the book or not, but it's made explicit to us in the movie that they're living off of her husband's life insurance. Yeah, it's mentioned in the film. I meant in, I didn't know if it was. Mentioned oh, if in the it book. was. Yeah, I don't know about the book. I mean, I guess that's it, it's kind of implied because she, she doesn't, doesn't have work. a job. Yeah, yeah. No, she doesn't work. So, <laughs> yeah. But the book and the film both begin with her talking about I need your help, fellow moms. Uh, I have a friend that's missing mm -hmm. and I don't usually give personal details about my life or where I live, but, uh, and then she kind of goes back and kind of fills you in about Emily, the woman and friend of hers that is missing. Yeah. And, uh, so we learn a little bit about Emily here and in the movie, we actually get to see these scenes, um, in the book, it's just kind of Stephanie talking about their time together. Yeah, you get uh, their relationship and S Emily's personality, but like through the filter of like Stephanie's impression of her. Yeah. Which like Stephanie is just so kind of almost in awe of Emily. Yeah. Emily's very has kind of a magnetic personality, is very strong-willed, kind of doesn't care what other people think, has, mm -hmm. is stylish, and, you know, a lot of things that Stephanie admires a lot. Yeah, they're very different, but uh, Stephanie is very much about mom solidarity. So <laughs> yes. they, they do have that in common, that they're moms, and they talk about their kids, and their kids are best friends. So uh, it's convenient for them to have playdates and to hang out with each other. Uh, I just want to say the scene where we see Emily for the first time in the movie. <laughs> yes. The rain, uh -huh. the umbrella. The outfit. Her suit with the shoes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's got, like, a vest on with, like, a button-up white shirt that is later revealed just to be, I don't know what you call it. Yes. Like, just the top front part of the shirt. And this de-suiting. The de-suiting scene. The de-suiting scene. I literally wrote de-suiting in my notes. And then when we were just reading over our notes, I'm like, what? what is this word? De-suit? De de oh, de-suiting. De <laughs> yeah, no, when they uh, go back to her house and Emily's just kind of like walking around and talking and like removing the layers of like her elaborate outfit because she works as kind of a PR person for like a high-end fashion brand yeah so she herself is very stylish yeah and we hear about this in the book but it's one thing to hear that someone dresses stylishly and it's another to actually see someone dressed like well but also kind of crazy kind of nuts and yeah it makes sense though because you're like she works for the fashion industry and of course everybody in the fashion industry is going to take risks that even you know rich maybe People who are rich and stylish might not take, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what this reminds me of is Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, yeah. Ironic, speaking of uh, Henry Golding. Yes. But, in you know, we read that book and it's like name dropping brands and just kind of like describing things. But when you see it on film, you're yeah. like, I get it now. I get how elaborate and elegant everything is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Emily's character, essentially. Yeah. And, I mean, Stephanie is literally like stammering <laughs> yeah. around her, especially in this scene where she's de-suiting. Yeah. She's just like, what's happening? <laughs> well, in the film, when she asks her, like, 
do you want to like uh hang out at my house and have a drink and then she just starts rambling about like a chocolate martini that she had and there wasn't (laughs) enough chocolate and uh we should mention just quickly that emily is married to a british man named sean Mm -hmm. in the book sean is like a wall street stockbroker type just general businessman type business vague business vague businessman and his accounts and his accounts so they're both doing quite well for themselves right yeah Yeah. so they they get together and i just i mean we have to talk about anna kendrick as stephanie yes and blake lively as emily because these two performances are so good they're so funny together anna kendrick plays kind of like this super uptight, awkward mom. Neurotic. Neurotic. She does it so well. She's so funny. Blake Lively, I can't think. Do you know of a movie that I would know that she's in? Because I'm not super familiar with her. I mean, I think she's most well known for being in Gossip Girl. Yeah, that that I do know. Because I'm just like, where has she been? <laughs> she's so good in this. She's so funny. She plays this kind of um, bulldozer, intimidating type woman who doesn't give a fuck yeah and is both like put the fear of god in you but is also like very chill in a weird way and funny yeah like (laughs) there's so many good lines from her (laughs) at one point her son nikki is complaining like he's like you never let us do anything and she's like uh i let you tear my uterus open when i gave birth to you (laughs) (laughs) there's so many funny lines and blake lively is just great as this character but the two of them together are just like magic i know it's very funny because stephanie anna kendrick is so clearly in awe of emily and her life and her confidence right and there's just this this magnetism between them and emily you're like not quite sure why she likes stephanie maybe because stephanie is different from everyone else that she talks to and hangs out with in the fashion industry either way like they're just so much fun together i love this these scenes that we have of them talking hanging out and drinking in the book we don't get like these martini scenes or uh, anything like that but we kind of get the idea of these general hangout times just them kind of bonding and talking to each other over about the span of a year. The movie definitely condenses the time frame. Yeah, in the movie, it's at different points, they mentioned being like close friends or best friends, but also that they've only known each other for a few weeks, mm-hmm. which is a little strange. But you also I get you, you get the impression that neither of them has many friends. So it makes sense that like they kind of like form a quick and intense bond. I was going to say it's funny because... They're so good together, their on-screen chemistry, but, like, they don't get a ton of scenes together. Yeah. Like, a lot of it's front-loaded at the start of the film, and it almost hurts the movie. I know. Which is funny, because, like, by doing one part of the movie so good, by, like, almost having these, like, this perfect cast and this perfect dynamic, it almost highlights a lacking in the rest of the film that... Maybe if the earlier part had been, like, not as good, you wouldn't have noticed later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree, because a lot of the movie is spent without Emily. Yeah. And I really like Blake Lively's performance. I find it so interesting. And she's gorgeous in this, so you just want to look at her, right? It's almost like they had a script written, and then they started filming, and were like, oh, God, Blake Lively is so good. (laughs) 
but she's not in like a ton of it. Like, oh no, <laughs> like, that's my idea of what it was like on set. Cause that's how it felt watching it, you know? Yeah. Like it's not that the rest of the movie was bad, but like these early scenes are so good. Yeah. I really enjoy them. I completely agree. <laughs> we get a scene where they're really opening up to each other. This is kind of mentioned, uh, I think a little bit later in the book. But Stephanie alludes to her dark past, right? Yeah. And especially when in the film, when you look at Anna Kendrick, you're like, what dark past could she <laughs> possibly have? Well, ho- <laughs> hold on to your seats. <laughs> I know. And this is what's funny about this, Ian. In both the book and the movie, this little piece of information is not given to us in a way that feels like a reveal. Yeah, it's very early. It's just kind of dropped in into the narrative. And we won't hold you in suspense any longer. (laughs) We'll just say that when Stephanie's father died around the time she was 18 or 19 years old, they found out that she had a half-brother that they had not known about their whole life. And he shows up to the funeral, and she has sex with him. Yep. Because he looks so much like her dad. Yeah, as if that makes it better. I know. (laughs) I mean, she's like, she talks about in the book how fucked up it is and how she must be sick. She must be some kind of like sex freak, right? Like that kind of thing. She's very much like aware of how twisted and wrong this was. And in at this early stage, she describes it as just like. We had we had sex once in the film anyway. She's like, yeah, we had sex that one time. Yeah, it's revealed later in the film anyway and in the book as we go. We're kind of going to just talk about this whole thing at once. This information's parsed out more in both versions, but their relationship continues even into when she was married uh, to her husband, <laughs> Dave Davis. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe her son isn't her husband's. But is instead her half brothers. Ew. Very twisted and dark. Her husband is very suspicious of this. And he he asks, like, what's your relationship with Chris, your half brother? Because yeah. you seem very close in a way that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> and she denies it. She denies anything going on, but he's suspicious. And we know that they both are killed in a car accident together. But it kind of becomes at least implied it's never confirmed or anything like there was no note. But Stephanie is very convinced that her husband purposefully crashed the car with him and her brother in it. Yes. I mean, there was a note that said, I'm tired of all the lying in the bathroom. Yes. But that's all it says. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of up for interpretation, I guess you could say. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about this, Ian. I don't know what it really gives us. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. On one hand, I think it's like kind of really funny and interesting that like, you know, Stephanie is so kind of uptight. She's super mom. She's like very 
I don't know what the innocent appearing, especially with like Anna Kendrick's performance. Yes, especially contrasted with Emily. Right? Yes. And she talks about like my dark past. And you're like, OK, like what was your dark past? Like, come on, what did you do? And she's like, oh, I had an ongoing affair with my half brother. And maybe my child is my half brother. It's like, whoa, <laughs> that's genuinely fucked up. Like, that's honestly dark. Yeah. And I kind of find that like, I don't know if that's exclusively the point of it. I mean, I think in that way, it's effective of almost like subverting, like really pushing for what people are comfortable with or what you could empathize with Stephanie over. Right. Yeah. But it's like so juicy that I'm like, why are we just given this information? Yeah. It's not drawn out. We never get suspicious. We're never given clues. Like, you know, the whole time this is about Emily's disappearance and like, is Emily dead? What happened to her? And so we're piecing the clues together, right? But we're literally just told verbatim from Stephanie, oh, I had an affair with my half-brother. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, wouldn't it be interesting if this came <laughs> out, like, in a way, in the book? like? And also if it was tied more thematically into Stephanie's arc yeah. in the story. Like, what? how did what she did affect who she is as a character when we meet her like does she feel such guilt over what she did that she's like taking her mom role like so serious like the one person implied that she does that i guess but like she doesn't evolve much in the book in that way or like where she goes in the film doesn't really feel related to her backstory no It, it feels like that's such an extreme backstory but like to what set up that she's a a, a super mom? Yeah, like, there's plenty of super moms who didn't fuck their half brothers. <laughs> you know, like I don't think you need a dark origin story to establish why you're just like a good single mother. You know what I mean? Like I feel like her backstory is so extreme that her character should go somewhere, go somewhere. farther yeah. or like be more interesting. Or we should be like rewarded with this information instead of just like. Casu- having it dumped on us yeah casually told yeah i i completely agree <laughs> it's it it's a lot and like i remember when i first heard about this movie i forget if you told me yeah i probably did after you, i watched the movie because i was like what the fuck yeah like anna kendrick was like fucking her brother or like her half brother and i remember being like what <laughs> all i remember going into it was like there was some level of incest and but I didn't remember who was doing it or what it was related to. So I was still like mostly shocked when I read like what actually was going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emily does call her a brother fucker, though. Yes. I, only in the movie. Only though. in the film. I love her reaction. She's like really pleased <laughs> to find out that uh, Stephanie does genuinely have like a kind of twisted side. Yeah. And she keeps calling her brother fucker. <laughs> I'm like, if you had done that, why would you ever tell anyone? I know. Like, you could never tell anyone. Like, I guess <laughs> I guess the guilt could be so extreme. Yeah. But, like, go to therapy. I know. Like, do something else. Like, put it into, like, one of those secret podcasts or something where you, like, <laughs> reveal your secrets don't, to them. Don't tell a woman you've known for, like, a week. Yeah. <laughs> Be like, listen, I really need to get something off my chest. I've been holding it in for a while. I've been waiting for the right person to I've, tell. I've been having an incestuous relationship with my half-brother, and, and maybe my son is is his. Oh, my God. 
Anyway, let's get back to the mystery um, and Emily being missing. So we get into the present moment where we find out, you know, the two of them were friends. Oftentimes, Stephanie would pick up um, her son, Miles, and would also pick up Emily's son, Nikki, for her because she had to work late sometimes in New York City. They live in Connecticut. And like, you know, that was something that they did fairly often. And so when Emily calls Stephanie one day and is like, hey, I'm really sorry. I have this thing at work. Could you pick Nikki up and I'll be in touch later? Stephanie is like, oh, of course, no problem. She's like, could you do me a simple favor? (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the book mentions a simple favor (laughs) as a a term way too many times, (laughs) like at least four times. In, in, like, a serious way, like, each time. I mean, maybe that's supposed to be, like... I've heard it now so much that now I can't remember if people actually say the words a simple favor together. I don't, I don't think so. Okay, like, I'm like, is this a phrase that people use? It would it would be way too formal if someone ever said it to you, right? Like, I think I've heard, hey, can you do me a small favor? A before. small favor, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a small favor would be... I mean, the title of simple favor works it's good and yeah. i could i could imagine someone saying it but not like four times yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, a simple favor a simple favor <laughs> uh so stephanie picks up emily's son with hers and and brings brings uh nikki back to her house her uh nikki and miles are having a play date and then quite a bit of time passes and stephanie hasn't heard from emily Emily hasn't reached out like and and Stephanie's getting worried because Emily's always really like texting her like if she did pick up Nikki and like is always in communication. So Stephanie begins to worry. It gets to be bedtime and she's kind of panicking a little. Yeah, she cut. She starts trying to like track her down. She calls. I think it's like the next day she calls the company she works for and gets an answer about like. Oh, uh, she's on a business trip. Yeah, she's on a business trip just like for a few days. And Stephanie is like, what? Uh, Eventually, she calls her husband, Sean. And Sean is British and is visiting families overseas. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he immediately like flies back when he finds out that Stephanie's just kind of like up and disappeared. Yeah, Emily. Emily. (laughs) (laughs) That Emily has disappeared. (laughs) So he gets back and they call the police and kind of file a missing persons report. Yeah. But the police are like, eh. Women disappear all the time without a word. <laughs> Women are constantly leaving their families. Ah, uh, those those bitches. Just <laughs> and we never investigate. <laughs> <laughs> it would be pointless. They're probably just down. They're fine. They're just down the They're road. They're happy. <laughs> <laughs> Running in a field somewhere. So they're kind of left in a bit of limbo, right? Yes. And of course, Stephanie is blogging about this yes because it's very important and she's like moms i need your help if you've seen anyone who looks like this or is in this area please let me know call the police it's funny because like in the uh in the movie one of the moms actually does have a tip and calls it in and it leads to like a break in the case but i think in the book the moms are no help. <laughs> yeah, I know. She also, I always kind of had a question about how successful her blog actually is. Yeah. Like how, because in the in the film especially, the, we get like the other parents kind of oh, like yeah. talking shit. And they mentioned like reading her blog, but kind of like to make fun of it. 
And I'm like, is anyone actually watching her blog? Like, what what, what are her view counts? I mean, she does say at the end that she got a million views, right? By the end. But, but maybe that's, that's because, like, like, because of the drama. Yeah, it blows up because of the drama, which we know. But yeah. it's like, what was, like, the starting point? Like, is it just kind of a sad, like, <laughs> her reaching, like... 10 people, you know, like it just kind of this pointless thing or, or or does she actually like have a fairly successful blog? I mean, in the book, she talks about how she'll give them prompts and then the moms discuss in the comments the things that she brings up. Yeah, I get the impression it's more successful in the book. Yeah. But it's more in the movie. It, it's kind of made out to be a joke. Yeah. So I'm just like curious, you know. Yeah. Or maybe the other parents are just jealous. You maybe. Know? What are her YouTube <laughs> metrics? Release the metrics. I want view Give counts. us the report. <laughs> in the film, Stephanie becomes kind of immediately proactive in hunting down Emily. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting if I'm saying Stephanie or Emily. I don't know what it is about the names. Uh, they're too generic. <laughs> they're, they're both just too generic. Uh, so Stephanie goes to the offices of Dennis Nylon, yes. the luxury uh, clothing brand that Emily works for in an attempt to figure out where she is. Yes, she's hunting down clues. Uh, Her Dennis Nylon outfit, as I put it in my notes, (laughs) is very silly. She has this scarf tied in this elaborate bow around her neck. It looks so terrible. It's very silly. Um, But she actually uses some of Emily's advice and almost seems like she takes on a little bit of Emily's confidence in this scene, she confronts the receptionist. She sneaks into Emily's office. She finds this picture of her that she doesn't quite understand, but it seems weird. She takes it, and then she puts down Dennis Nylon. Yeah, puts him in his place. Yeah. Uh, which Emily had said she does all the time. She's like, <laughs> Dennis just needs like a firm hand, you know? Uh, so I really like this uh, sequence as far as showing Stephanie's progression. This is kind of like a microcosm of her larger arc in the film. Yeah, taking more initiative, gaining more confidence. And this is exclusive to the movie. We don't really have anything like this in the book. But what's also happening around this time, you know, the cops are still looking for Emily, but nothing's been found. Uh, Stephanie is obviously helping out poor Sean and poor Nikki. Ugh. They 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 need a woman in their life, yes, right? Yes, they need someone to cook for them. They need someone to pick Nikki up from school. They need they need so much, and Stephanie, of course, is the mom to be there. Yeah, and so she's taking Nikki home from school, like helping to cook dinners, do things like that. An interesting difference is that in the film, we we said in the book that. Uh, Sean is like a Wall Street man, so he is really busy and working a lot. In the film, though, he was a novelist. I, I mean, I guess if you wrote one novel, you're a novelist, but he, yeah. doesn't, he hasn't written anything since, and now he teaches at a university. So he still has a job, but he seems to kind of be the one who cooks and does a lot of that kind of stuff at home. Maybe not all of that, but he's he feels more equipped for it. Uh, for like the parenting side of things. Then Bookshawn. Then Bookshawn, yeah. Bookshawn. I love that we hear a lot about how Bookshawn 
only likes to eat very, very burnt steaks. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, at one point he eats a steak that he's like, oh, it was basically raw. It was yeah. so gross. And like he, he it has to be very burnt. And apparently Emily was very upset about this. <laughs> Never trust anyone who likes a steak <laughs> or any meat that's like too overcooked. But it's interesting because... We see in the movie that Stephanie's coming over, she's cooking for them, she's helping out. The book is very almost creepy because Stephanie is doing a lot of things that Sean likes. She starts cooking these steaks for him. And she's a vegetarian at this point. Yeah. And in fact, she and her son start eating meat with Sean and his son. So she starts eating meat for him. She kind of pays attention to the music he listens to and starts playing it when they hang out together. They start sometimes watching a show together, like Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Bad. I like, I thought it was funny, all the like name drops of various shows and films. And in that way, the movie does, or the the book feels a little bit of like a meta commentary, maybe. Yeah. Kind of like very self-acknowledging like pop culture and maybe like tropes and trends. Mm -hmm. And also Stephanie very quickly is like, I'm kind of maybe really attracted to Sean. Like, I'm not going to talk about it. Like, we're not going to like, I'm not going to push it, but I'm definitely, I can tell I'm into him a little bit. Yeah. So I kind of like it getting ahead of the, maybe not ahead of the reader, but in line, like the reader knows what's happening. Where this is going, yeah. what's happening. And so I appreciate when a book is like, um, we all know we're on the same page. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it feels like, especially in the book, Stephanie is sort of, becoming what Sean wants her to be, which is very creepy and weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that Sean is necessarily pushing for that. It feels more like Stephanie is wanting to assimilate into that role. Uh, There's also in the film, uh, I mean, in the book, there are cops kind of vaguely looking into things. (laughs) At one point, it's mentioned that Dennis Nylon, like, paid the cops or like the police department a lot of money to like do their jobs oh better my God. which i'm like of course that <laughs> that rings true uh but in the film there is a kind of a lead detective who shows up to the house talks to stephanie in a scene that's very funny because stephanie is in emily's closet like trying on her clothes <laughs> and she's in this like elegant black dress yes that when the uh, there's a knock on the door. She can't get it unzipped. So she has to like answer the door and she's just in this dress and she's so uncomfortable and like fidgeting the whole interview. It's clearly too small on her and it's also too long. Too long. So it like pulls <laughs> down on the floor. Yeah. It's very, very funny. And Stephanie is very suspicious to the detective. The whole scene is just hilarious. But um, the movie does kind of like make it seem like the detectives are keeping an eye on this whole situation and that they might find things a little suspicious here. Yeah. Around this time is when a body is discovered in Michigan in a lake, and they're pretty sure it's Emily. They still have to run some tests. They do. They run a DNA test. and It's definitely Emily. It's Emily, and she had the ring on, Emily's, like, sapphire ring, Mm -hmm. and the same tattoo, so... Emily's dead. Yes. Right? Like, it's pretty, pretty definitive. Yes. And then there is this life insurance policy. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yes. Hmm. There was this life insurance policy that Sean had through his job that he took out for Emily. And that kind of is in the background here. Um, It's interesting. In the movie, it's kind of painted that Emily wanted that policy taken out 
after she met Stephanie. I thought that was a good detail. Yeah. Because we do see Stephanie tell Emily about like, oh, we're living off uh, Dennis's life insurance policy, but that's going to run out by- Davis. Davis, sorry. (laughs) What did I say? Dennis. It doesn't matter. (laughs) What's his name? It's going to run out in a couple years though. And so I liked tying that in when Sean is like, yeah, Emily (laughs) was was made very sad by your life. (laughs) And uh, how little you had to live off of. So he bumped up my life insurance. (laughs) Emily was made very, I love that, made very sad by your life. That's perfect. (laughs) So they do have have a funeral. Yeah. uh, And we just kind of continue to see Stephanie being there in a supportive role to Sean. Yeah. We have a really great scene where poor Nikki has a has a fight with Miles and is kind of breaking down over his mom's absence, right? And we actually see Stephanie being a very supportive person in this situation, and this is exclusive to the movie. Yeah. But she's just very there for Nikki, is very just accepting of what he's going through, doesn't try to tell him to calm down or, you know, not be sad. She's just very much like, I know this is really hard. Yeah, I thought it was handled, like, really well. Yeah, Then that night, uh, after the funeral is done, you know how you feel, like, really horny (laughs) after you've just uh, buried your dead wife? Yes, the horniest you've ever been. Oh, my God. We all know that feeling. (laughs) Uh, Stephanie and Sean are together, and they at first are, like, kind of embracing, and then, like, maybe going to kiss, and then they're like, no, No, we shouldn't shouldn't kiss. And then then they're they're like, like, yeah. Now, yeah, let's do it. And then they just have, have straight sex. They have... Crazy sex. Uh, I have to mention that in the book, this happens, Ian, because they watch one particular episode of Breaking Breaking Bad. Bad, That's right. I'm glad you remembered that. (laughs) And it gets them so hot. And it's the episode. I want everyone who's seen Breaking Bad to try to think of what episode of Breaking Bad would ever make you hot enough to like. (laughs) It's not a show that turns you on necessarily. Um, It's the scene where uh, Jesse and Jane have sex for the first time. Yeah, yeah, because they have this kind of like flirtation for several episodes at least before they finally like get together. So I was, I I don't know. I thought that was like really funny, like the whole Breaking Bad. They also mentioned like The Wire. Yeah. As well as uh, some old 60s. Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom horror movie called Peeping Tom. Uh, and just like a lot of other name drops of films. Strangers and, on a Train yeah. is mentioned. Patricia Highsmith. I mean, a lot of Patricia Highsmith is mentioned. Yeah, and, and the parallels to the talented Mr. Ripley and like Strangers on a Train and things like that I, I really liked, so. Yeah. Also, uh, I want to mention just briefly the music in the film. Yeah. Is really interesting. It's a lot of like 60s French. Yes. Like... Not rock music, but like kind of like 60s. Yeah, pop rock, uh, French pop rock. <laughs> and it, it gives it like, especially like in the opening credits, right? Yeah. It gives it a really like fun, but slightly off-putting <laughs> odd vibe. Yeah, it it seems almost like... um. Like a detective spoof movie. Yeah. Yeah, especially <laughs> the, the style of the opening credits feels very Saul Bass, like... 50s 60s kind of yeah time period and yeah it, it feels trendy too like it being french because i mean 
uh, Emily's character is very fashionable and, like, mm-hmm. the sets, like, Emily's house is gorgeous. So, like, there's kind of a high-class vibe to it that that music fits. Just a really interesting choice that I think fits really well. Yeah, I like it. It's a fun – it gives it a fun tone. Yes, And yeah. a fun vibe for sure. Uh, so around this time, Sean and Stephanie are sleeping together. And Stephanie ends up moving in with Sean. I feel like the movie – definitely portrays them as maybe being more in love than the book does. Yeah. In the movie, they actually say, I love you to each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of tough to like gauge in the book because we're only getting Stephanie's perspective, at least for this part. Yeah. And you know that they're a good team and they're relying on each other, but sometimes it's just kind of like hard to gauge like maybe how committed they are to each other. I mean, he asked her to move in with him. Yeah. And it's like, is he doing that because he likes to have someone to sleep with and also watch his son? And cook and for cook him. And cook for him? Or yeah. does he care about her? You know, it's probably like a mixture of both things. But just as things are starting to look up for Stephanie and Sean, that maybe they can make a life together with their beautiful blended family of tragedy (laughs) (laughs) some weird shit starts happening one day nikki comes home from school and he's like i saw mom outside of the playground (laughs) and everyone's like shut up that's really creepy no you didn't yes they didn't actually say that but no but then this keeps happening he keeps talking about seeing his mom and then miles stephanie's son is like yeah i saw her One time, Stephanie smells Emily's perfume in Nikki's hair. Yeah. She finds the friendship bracelet that she gave Stephanie, and Nikki has it now. Yeah. All these little things, and she feels like, is she going crazy? Is there any possibility that Emily is still out there? And she kind of goes to Sean with some of these questions, and he's very dismissive of her and is like, stop being crazy. Like, you're just stressed. Uh, Don't bother me with this stuff. I mean, to be fair, this book creates kind of like almost like the strongest reason to believe she's dead that you possibly could. I know. Like you saw her body. Yeah. There was a DNA test. There was a tattoo. Yeah. Like, I mean, just (laughs) every checklist you could imagine for identifying someone as being dead was like hit. Right. Mm -hmm. So you kind of understand a little bit why Sean is like, hmm. Maybe you should talk to somebody about this. (laughs) And then Stephanie gets a phone call. And the phone calls begin. And it's Emily. Uh, We get a creepy scene where Stephanie is being watched from outside the house because now she's at uh, Emily's house. And she has a whole thing where she's raising the number of fingers and Emily's telling her how many fingers she's raising. Very creepy. Yep. And very ominous. Like Emily is kind of like. Very pissed that Stephanie is there, mm-hmm. that she's sleeping with Sean, that she's kind of taken her life and basically says, um, just hold tight. You'll see me again soon. Yeah. Like, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. This is the part of the book where we shift to Emily's perspective. This is very Gone Girl, Ian. It ha- it, we, ha- we had to talk about this at some point. Yes. And now is a perfect time because... The, the phone call reveal happening and then shifting immediately to Emily's perspective is very being in Nick's perspective the whole book and then suddenly shifting to Amy when you realize what's going on. And also discovering that a character who seemed 
well-adjusted, is actually kind of a sociopath. Yes. And has has this plan. Fake their death. I'm sorry for, like, Gone Girl spoilers. I imagine most people have, have watched <laughs> it at this point. We just, we can't ignore the overwhelming comparisons yes. to Gone Girl. By the way, listen to our Gone Girl yeah, we episode. Yeah, we have an episode on Gone Girl. <laughs> you should absolutely listen to it. Yeah, I just, I think it's a huge negative to this story. I agree. Right? Yeah. Like, you're kind of, ex- you're, you're expecting Emily to come back, even when... There's all this evidence to the contrary. Yes. And then she does come back and you're like, okay, well, due to other, um, what is it, like suburban thrillers Yeah. that you've seen, like I was ex- kind of expecting this. Yeah. And especially because of Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so similar. It's so, so similar. It really is. Um, I do like getting a break from Stephanie and reading Emily's perspective for a while. Emily is a sociopath for sure. We get kind of some background on how this came about, her scheme, her and Sean kind of having this twisted relationship where she is this cool, dangerous, unapproachable woman that he gets to have and be associated with. But in order to have her, he has to keep up with her. Yeah, you know, I wish we got more examples of this. Yeah. We get get one example where Emily stole a ring, the sapphire ring that she wears that was found on the body. She said it was like a gift from Sean. Well, it turns out she stole it from Sean's mom. Yeah. Just because she felt like it. And Sean was like, oh, we're going to return it, right? And she's like, no, I wanted to take it, so now it's mine. Yeah. And... Have sex with me in the bathroom. In the airplane bathroom. In the airplane bathroom right now. And like, yeah, that's kind of unsettling behavior, right? But the jump from that to (laughs) faking your own death. Yeah, it's pretty significant. Via a murder (laughs) uh, for to defraud like an insurance policy. That's that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. She has this idea and she talks about how she was bored with her life. Right? Yeah. She's kind of bored of Sean. She's bored of her job. She's bored of her life. And this feels like a very sociopathic tendency, right? Like, she has to do something big in order to break this, like, boredom and tedium of her life. Um, It seems like the only person she really loves is her son, Nikki. But she's still very self-centered. Like, she convinces herself that, oh, if we do this insurance fraud scheme we'll have all this money and we can go away and we can just live somewhere beautiful and it'll be better for our son like i'm doing this for him yeah but it's clearly just because she's bored and she wants to like fuck with people i like okay i i realized from the beginning like okay it's not just about the life insurance policy right yeah however the life insurance policy is such a stupidly flimsy argument Even for, like, the police to really believe it. Because Sean works as, like, a Wall Street broker or, like, whatever. They both have amazing jobs. Amazing careers, right? Huge careers. And the insurance policy in the book is for only $2 million. I'm like, they almost definitely make over $2 million a year. Yeah. And, like, I'm sure they have bills, right? But, like, there's no way. It just doesn't make any sense. No. Even with the explanation that Emily is a sociopath, usually people who, I I mean, I don't know. I I say 
in the cliches that we read and view yeah. about sociopaths, I don't know what sociopaths are really like in the real world, but what we're used to seeing in pop culture is that those people are also very smart and calculating. Yeah. So this feels very bizarre. Because later, too, when we find out, like, she really had to make a horrible sacrifice of someone that she cared about to, yeah. like, get to this point that I'm like, okay, this can't just be about the thrill of it, right? Like, you made a, a terrible decision that I can't imagine you would make unless you felt like you were gaining something huge from it. But $2 million is not it. $2 million is not it. No. <laughs> now, the movie, I think, does a good job of, first of all, doubling the insurance policy to $4 million. Yes. Good start. <laughs> Secondly, Sean doesn't have the high-profile job that he has in the book. He is just a, prof a professor at a university. Like, a, a decent job, but not, like, raking in the money, right? Yeah, and Emily specifically tells Stephanie, like, when they first meet that they have money troubles, right? That yes. they bought this really expensive house and now the market has kind of gone down and they can't really sell it to recoup their losses. She makes a couple comments about money, including the house. Which, yeah. So between increasing the insurance policy, changing Sean's job, and mentioning the money thing, I'm like, I I accept it now. It's giving more reasons. Yes, I, I it, you've justified it more. But in the book, it's interesting because Sean is in on this plan with Emily. Like, yeah. Emily is like, listen, our marriage is boring. Our life is boring. Let's do this insurance fraud scheme. And he's like, no. And she's like, yes. And he's like, no. And she's like, yes. And he's like, no. And she's like, yes. And then he's like, okay. All right. <laughs> Comedy comes in fours, as they say. <laughs> I know. I went, I went one more than I meant to. <laughs> No, See, it, it was better it worked, that way. Though, it it worked. was better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so this is exclusive to to the book here that Sean has knowledge of this scheme, right? And Emily in this part of the book where we're in her perspective is like, this was our plot and we needed someone who would be like the perfect witness and would also like take care of Nikki when I was gone. So that's where Stephanie comes in. And she talks about this poker term of someone called the fish. Yes. The fish is the sucker at the table who everyone who is going to lose all their money. And you might not know immediately who the fish is or, you know, you might immediately know uh, or like if you're at the table, poker table long enough and you still don't know who the fish is, you're probably the fish. <laughs> Apparently, that's what this book tells me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she's like, Stephanie is kind of my mark, at least for this aspect. She just wanted someone who would be there for Nikki and would kind of like take it upon herself to like half raise her child and like nurture him to a degree while she was gone. Yeah, and also who could give a character witness to the police, right? Yes. To make things seem like she was a devoted mother and she wouldn't have abandoned her kid. And then when the body is found that she wouldn't have committed suicide because if she committed suicide, they don't get the money. Yeah, this is also like Gone Girl. Yeah. I mean, only a small part, but there's a great <laughs> line in the film when she's explaining her plan and she's like, Step two, befriend local idiot. <laughs> it's Stephanie. It's Stephanie. <laughs> it, it's like, that is kind of a character in Gone Girl. And it was as if um, the author of this book read Gone Girl and was like, oh, what about 
Gone Girl, but from the local idiot's <laughs> perspective, who's yeah. suckered into this, right? <laughs> and I get it. Like, that's an interesting angle for this kind of story. But it's still, it's still Gone Girl. Yeah, it's still, it's still Gone Girl. Uh we get here Stephanie starting to investigate more because now that she knows that Emily's back, she's getting these phone calls. She's like, I need to be a little more proactive, which is the most we see Stephanie do in the book at all. This is more of like a journey that she goes on in the movie where we see her get more and more involved, yes. take more and more drastic steps and become confident and proactive and taking, you know, her destiny into her own hands, blah, blah, blah. This is the most action that Stephanie gets in the book. She tracks down Emily's mom because Emily's mom sends Emily a birthday card every year. So she has the address, just drives up there and meets with her mom. In the movie, they make Stephanie work for it. Yeah, she starts off by tracking down a woman who did a painting of Emily that is in the house. I didn't know that painting was supposed to be of Emily. Did you know that? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you had seen it, but like even, I guess, on your first viewing. She makes a comment when we first see it. Yeah. About, oh, I had this phase where I was dyeing my hair a lot. Because the woman oh, in, the, in the picture has like. The, I missed that line. Because yeah. the hair was different. So I didn't. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So she tracks down the woman who did the painting, talks to her. She talks about not Emily, but Claudia says she's a different, gives her a different name and says like she kind of like ran off with like money and like really like fucked her over and she's been pissed ever since. Now all she can paint is knives, <laughs> which is very funny. Yeah. The humor in this movie is like very, very hilarious. I know we haven't really talked about it. I mean, we've talked about like funny individual lines, but like Paul, F Paul Feig or Paul Feig, who directed it, has directed. He did like uh Spy with Melissa McCarthy. He did the Ghostbusters reboot. I know he's done more and I'm blanking on it right now. But like a lot of kind of like absurd, usually female driven comedies, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like the movie Spy kind of like dabbles in like action, right? As a genre, like it's spoofing action, but also doing it to a degree. This feels like a bit of spoofing the domestic thriller genre, but also doing it more. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of a more successful version of that Netflix series that came out, The Woman Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. Oh, yeah, yeah. That also was kind of like half comedy, half serious, but that was... It didn't quite work. No. This feels like, for whatever reason, it works better, maybe because the comedy is just stronger. Mm -hmm. You get a lot of casting in this film of, like, recognizable comedic actors. Yeah, Gene Smart is the mom. Yeah, Gene Smart is the mother when you see her. I cannot remember the character's name, and I don't know the actor's name, but he played, I think, Elliot was his name in Girls. Oh, yes. Is one of the parents. Darren in this movie D Darren, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, he is so funny in Girls. <laughs> I loved seeing him in this. But just, like, so many well-known comedic actors yeah. pop up in this film. Yeah, yeah. So she, she finds the artist, and then the artist leads her to this camp. And when Stephanie goes through the camp yearbooks, it's this crazy Bible camp, she sees photos of what looks like Emily, but it's under a different name, and also a twin sister. So then she's able to track down Emily's mother and talk to her. And this is where we find out that Emily had a twin. I mean, 
it had to be a twin, right? Yes, it's always a twinny. Like, <laughs> I, uh, you could say that it's like being self-aware about it, but like when you know that Emily's back, you're like, well, it has to be a twin, right? The DNA The match. DNA, and it's like, yeah, no, she had a twin, and you're like, oh my God, how, I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. The movie is like giving us too many names. They're like, oh, Emily's real name is Hope, and her twin sister is Faith, and they also had a triplet sister that died in the womb. Yes. Charity. Charity. And I'm like, this is too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of info. In the book, it's just Emily. And then her twin sister's name is Evelyn. But, I mean, we find out they kind of had a fucked up childhood. The movie gives us this whole plot line about them setting the West Wing of their house on fire. Yeah. Which and- is very Beauty and the Beast of them. <laughs> Yeah, they had kind of like overbearing Christian parents, it seems. And so they like burned their house down, killed their dad. Yeah. Then they said that they had to like split apart because like people were on the lookout for two blonde twins. I guess you could just say blonde twins. There's going to be two of them. (laughs) And uh, so they're like, we have to split apart so that we're less likely to get caught. Mm -hmm. And so they were apart for a while. And I think they kind of like reunited at various points. Did they or did no. they never reunite? In the book, they reunite. Yeah. In the movie, they haven't seen each other since the fire. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I guess so, that makes sense. I was just thinking that they would have seen each other, but. Yeah. So, you know, in the in the book, they've kind of kept in contact off and on. And in, in the movie, they haven't seen each other. But in both versions, Emily doesn't tell anyone and no one knows that she has a twin sister. Yeah. So she's kept it a secret. Um. Stephanie kind of uses this information to communicate with Emily and uses her blog or her YouTube channel to give these hints because she knows Emily is probably watching. Yeah. So she like either in the book, she writes a message to Emily, like a, a theoretical like, oh, if Emily, my dead friend could only read this, this is what I would say to her, you know, and kind of a similar thing in the film. Yeah. I know in the movie that we already know Emily is alive because we've heard her voice, right? But when we first see her in the film, yeah, she's just like on a bed, like looking at YouTube. Yeah, looking at YouTube (laughs) in like a hotel room. It's not a reveal. No, it's not. Like I know you don't need to reveal her because we know she's alive, but also it feels like that moment should have. It should have been a moment. I agree. It should have been a kind of, because when you see her, you're like, oh. Oh, she's alive. Oh, that, okay. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> we yeah. knew, but also. Yeah. Yeah. It could have done more to kind of make that a dramatic moment, I think, than just her laying in bed <laughs> watching YouTube. With, like, unbrushed hair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Emily decides to make contact with Sean at this point. So we have a scene of them meeting up for lunch in a restaurant. And this is where things differ, because in the book, Sean knew that she was going to fake her own death. In the movie, Sean did not know that. No. And in both versions, he started sleeping with Ste- with Stephanie. But guess which version of Emily is more angry with him? The version where she was like, I'm going to pretend to be dead. Don't believe that oh, I'm yeah, dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like... <laughs> Got it. Got it. And then he's like, oh, my God, she's really dead. I guess I'll sleep with Stephanie. And then she's like, I wasn't dead. I told you, you not idiot. to believe that I was dead. And he's like, but the DNA match, like, I I, I yeah. believed it. He didn't know she had a twin sister. No. <laughs> so when, like, he saw the body, presumably, and there was a DNA match and the 
tattoo and like literally everything else. Like, sorry, Emily, but like <laughs> if you really didn't want him to fuck Stephanie, you should have clued him in a little bit more into your plan. Yes. And then in the movie, Sean is like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? Yeah. And um, Emily has a gun on him. Yeah. She, in the movie. In, in the film during this conversation. And so he kind of says things about Stephanie, like she doesn't mean anything to me. Like I like we can still be together, but like he has a gun on him. Yeah. So is it true or not? Yeah. And I love the way the scene ends because Emily gets up from the table and says, meet me in the bathroom in 20 seconds, just like the plane earlier. Mm -hmm. And you never see him get up or where he goes. I think it's implied. Like, I think it's you can accept that he probably went to the bathroom. Yeah. But I. I, I first of all just like that that she's like tying that thrill seeking to like the ring yes. situation earlier that like she's getting off on this in a weird way mm-hmm. and also probably how Sean is kind of like under her spell yeah and kind of like trapped in the cycle with her again yeah yeah for sure it's interesting too in the book because we get some of Sean's perspective here it's mostly Stephanie. And then it, it does jump back and forth with Emily and then very small sections with Sean. Yeah, just occasional, which I mean, to me, it felt like the author wasn't sure how to end Sean's story without going into his perspective. Yeah, so she had to give him like another perspective earlier. Yeah, because this is like the third act of the book and it's Sean's perspective and it doesn't really give us a lot of new information or insight into his character. No. Other than what he's thinking about like when he makes certain choices. Yeah. So I don't, this part I was like, eh, you know. Yeah, I agree. There is an insurance agent that is introduced at this time who's investigating Emily's death so that they can possibly pay out this money for the insurance policy. Uh, In the book, he's kind of suspicious and kind of comes and investigates on his own. It seems like in the movie that Stephanie is actually feeding them information and being like, oh, did you know that Emily had a twin? Yeah, yeah. And this kind of puts Stephanie and Sean at odds with each other because Sean knew that Emily was alive and like didn't mention it to Stephanie, although I don't think she knew that yet. But he's mad at her because she knew Emily had a twin yeah. and she didn't tell him about it. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of there's kind of a rift now between them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of tension because Stephanie doesn't know how much Sean knows and then Sean finds out that Stephanie knew about the twin and he didn't know it. And so there's a lot of confusion and suspicion about who knows what and what's happening. I also feel like at this point in both the book and the movie, there's a lot of where is this going? Yes. What what is the plan? Like, you know, when Emily enacted her plan, right? uh, The whole thing was that like her and Sean would run away together. But then oh no, Sean thought I was actually dead and now he's with Stephanie. And now I want revenge, Mm -hmm. but maybe I don't. Maybe I want revenge against Sean or maybe just Stephanie. I don't know. Like, it's just, 
you just don't know. Yeah, are they still going to get the money? Like, yeah. what's happening? And I'm not necessarily in suspense over what's going to happen in the unknown. I'm more just like, where's this going? Yeah. I need some some direction here. I agree with you. And then with Stephanie and Sean being suspicious of each other, but they still seem like they're living together for a while. Yeah, I, I don't, also <laughs> don't know who's living where and <laughs> what exactly is happening on that front either. Yeah. We get a scene in the film where Steph kind of covertly sets up a meeting with Emily via her blog at Emily's not actual grave. Yes. I love that they're making martinis. Yes. At the grave site. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of have a conversation and you're really seeing how Stephanie has kind of risen up to Emily's level. Yes. Right? She seems way more confident She's lost. She's calling Emily on her shit. She's lost her kiddish, childish clothing, right? She's yes. dressing in sleek black, <laughs> looking good. Yes, yes. And she's kind of like a- able to mentally spar with Emily at this point. Yes. She's like, I want to know the truth. You tell me what, what happened, blah, blah, blah. And this is where Emily is like, okay, I'll tell you what happened. My sister called me. I hadn't spoken to her in, you know, many, many years we met up at this cabin and she was blackmailing me. Yeah, her sister has a drug, a drug abuse problem with heroin and just honestly, like probably any drug you could think of, just has n- has not had a very smooth life, whereas Emily has obviously kind of ascended in this career in fashion and is doing really well for herself. Her sister has had just a, a really rough life. And so her sister in the film is blackmailing her and wanting like what a million dollars yeah and emily is like uh i can't get you that but like we'll figure something out like we'll make it work right and then her sister's like let's go swimming yeah let's just go out in the water together so (laughs) they both get in the water and then we get kind of going back to emily telling the story because she's like i didn't kill my sister she drowned like she was high and she got in the water and she drowned and i love stephanie's like i don't believe you yeah you're lying. And we see, as she's telling this story, the reality of what actually happened, which is Emily pushing her sister down into the water and drowning her. Yeah. And as she's telling this story, Emily's like, fuck you, I didn't kill my sister. <laughs> and and just Stephanie just d- does not believe her. Yes, they do uh, the classic brother fucker, sister killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also both have a moment where like neither of they both agree that neither of them wants Sean anymore. Yeah, they're like, oh, Sean. Oh, God, I don't want him. <laughs> He's like, annoying. You can take him. I don't want him. Yeah, because Emily plays the tape recording of Sean saying he doesn't care about Stephanie at gunpoint for Stephanie. Yeah. As if that's supposed to be a reveal. But Stephanie's kind of like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, because Stephanie obviously isn't buying Emily's bullshit anymore. Yeah. Uh, a similar meeting happens between Emily and Stephanie at this point in the book. They meet at a bar, though, um, at this hotel, kind of out of town. And this is where we, again, have the version of truth that Emily is telling Stephanie versus the truth of what actually happened. And what actually happened with Emily and her twin is that Emily got a call from her sister out of the blue. She was high. She needed help. She tells her that she's going to their family cabin to kill herself. Yeah. So Emily rushes up to the cabin to try to stop her. She does get to talk to her, but is like, I think what she says, she wakes up and she's gone the next morning and that she found out she drowned. So she went swimming or whatever. 
Uh, the reality, though, is that her sister did want to kill herself. Then mm, maybe she doesn't anymore. Maybe she's kind of like ha- maybe it was just a, a, a low point. The pills. The pills. And maybe she does want to go to rehab now. But Emily is realizing that like, oh, well, I kind of need her to be dead for the insurance policy scam. Yeah. Which this is also like, was it always her plan to kill her sister for the insurance policy scam? It's unclear. It's very like this thing just happens to coincide with the insurance policy thing. Yeah. Perfectly happened to line up the opportunity to kill her (laughs) sister and this the fact she wanted to scam the life insurance. Yeah. And of course, isn't your sister's life worth two million dollars? I mean, I would ask more. For my sister's life, personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I would He's, never I would never do anything to hurt my sister ever for any amount of money. But I'm just saying if you were going to set the record straight. do more than two million, Jesus. I know the fucking two million dollars. Like, why are you doing and it genuinely is painted as being like a really difficult thing yeah. for Emily to do because she kind of just she tricks her sister into essentially ODing. Yeah. Well, not ODing, but like getting really wasted. She knows that that her sister is suicidal because of the drugs and pills. So when her sister is on the drugs and pills, she's like, I want to kill myself. And then she's like, okay, let's just calm down. She comes off it and then she's like, I don't want to kill myself. She's like, oh, okay. Then she's like, oh, I need to get her to kill herself. So she's yeah. like, what if we just party one last time together? So kind of tricks her sister into getting high and drunk again and getting back to that same state where she was like, I want to kill myself again. Except this time when she says, hey, I think I want to kill myself again. Instead of being like, no, don't do it. She's like, got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. I actually kind of love this. Not, I don't love it. I find it really dark, but unique in a kind of like, kind of a compelling twisted way. Like, just the means that she goes about doing this, right? Like someone who is on the verge of suicide and just kind of like pushing, pushing that process going. And that's very heartless and dark. Yeah. But it like I like the movie obviously goes for the more visual dramatic, like I'm gonna drown her. Yes. Like dunk her head under <laughs> yes. the water repeatedly <laughs> and like murder her. But like something about it being like a quieter, creepier, and more disturbing, like pushing like the pills and alcohol on her and like yeah. kind of just convincing her to do it like it's twisted but I kind of like it in that yeah, way. Yeah, it is. It's it's one of the better I think parts of this is the method of it because it's her it's not her directly killing her but she is. I won't say what, but it reminds me of ironically a scene in Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. Where a character lets someone die. Yes. Right? And Mm -hmm. it's like... How responsible are they? Yeah, like, they didn't kill them, but it's, like, this really tense kind of dramatic thing, and it's, like, an unusual situation. It's not just, like, an execution. It's kind of a passive murder. Well, and Emily tells Stephanie when they meet up, she's like, oh, also, Sean did know about my sister and was, like, bullying her yeah and was physically abusing me our whole marriage so she makes up this whole story about how sean was violent towards her and was just an awful person and stephanie is like ah 
I have my friend back. And of course, this is like the story, right? I knew there had to be a reason why she left and why she would leave me. And Stephanie just swallows this hook, line and sinker. Which is like so interesting, especially when compared to the film. Yeah. Right. Where Stephanie has evolved. Yeah. She's grown to have like a bullshit meter, especially with Emily. And she's become more independent. Stephanie in the book is just like, oh, my friend needs me. So we're we're going to go from here with the book and just kind of finish it because it's kind of it's different. They both diverge pretty drastically. Emily is like, listen, I need your help. OK, she asked her when they had their meeting, can you bring me my ring? And also, can you bring me a hairbrush from Sean? Don't worry about getting the hair out of it. <laughs> I'm like, and Stephanie's like, sure. Yeah, you must miss Sean so much. Like, <laughs> I'll bring his hairbrush for you. And Emily is like, listen, this guy's been following me around. And she describes him. And Stephanie's like, oh my God, that's like the insurance investigator who like knows that you have a twin and is looking for you. And like, Emily's like, that's who I thought it was. Can you come out to the parking lot with me? Just like real help quick. Help me explain the story to him. Yeah, help me uh, talk to him. And Stephanie's like, yeah, sure. And they go out to the parking lot and he's in the car dead. <laughs> and then Emily's like, oh, yeah, I killed him. I murdered him. And Stephanie's like, uh, you probably had a good reason <laughs> to. And she's like, oh, um, by the way, could you help me dispose of his car and body? And Stephanie's like. Anything for a fellow mom. <laughs> <laughs> and so they cover up. They like yeah. push the car over a cliff. Put Sean's hairs in there. Yeah. Because like Stephanie is like all about framing Sean now because like it's to protect Emily. Yeah. I find this turn. I think it goes too far. Do I, I agree, but I also just like the general direction of it. I like because we've talked or characters have talked like Emily have said that Stephanie is dumb. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes hard to convey in Stephanie's perspective. Right. For sure. Especially when you as the reader are reading it. It's like, I mean, is she dumb? I don't know. I like the book committing to this idea that like Stephanie is really gullible. Yeah. And easy to manipulate. And Emily is abusing that. And it's almost like taking this idea of like female solidarity and kind of like abusing like Emily abusing that and like turning it against Stephanie and like using her to this capacity. Yeah. And Stephanie is just like, yeah, no, I'll help you do whatever you want to <laughs> yeah, hide a body. Cover up a crime. At one point after they push the car off the cliff, <laughs> she's like mom powers combined. <laughs> something yes really similar to she that says something about like super mom powers or something like that i'm just like oh my god <laughs> i don't know how i feel about the tone of this book yeah so at the beginning with the writing of the blog posts i'm like this feels very self-aware it's like kind of funny like especially that like blog writing perspective then it kind of just settles into feeling like a regular like a gone girl ripoff dom yeah domestic thriller and i'm like okay i'm not getting any of that like maybe self-aware feeling that i was earlier and then at the end i'm like i mean <laughs> maybe it's back but it also maybe it's like too late bizarre yeah maybe it's weird yeah and i can't tell like how 
intentional any of this is. I agree. It does feel like it swings a little too wildly into a different direction towards the end. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, like... I enjoy it. I do, too, because the book is feeling very generic in the middle. And I'm kind of like, okay, I I like this unexpected turning point, like, in the third act for, like, Stephanie and Emily. Yeah, I just don't know if it really takes it far enough or in a more interesting direction because there's so little time left. Yeah. And once again, like we've learned, we learned so much about Emily or I'm sorry, Stephanie with like her dead husband and her incestuous relationship with her half brother. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Now she's committing crimes, but like she also hasn't changed. No at all. And once again, I'm like, what was her whole backstory about? Yeah. Well, what's, what's it for? What did that lead towards? Right. In the film, you see, Stephanie evolve and you're like maybe she was always kind of a shitty person like maybe the whole mom thing was a front yeah uh, I don't necessarily think that the film ties it in well enough but you could make your own uh interpretations of it whereas the book I feel like is just I don't know it doesn't connect at all no it really doesn't they confront Sean and the two of them are like You've been abusing Emily. We all know it. And Sean's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And Stephanie's like, I'm prepared to say anything, even if it's a lie, to pin this on you because I know that Emily is the victim. So she's like so certain that Emily needs to be protected and helped that she's like, I'll lie. I mean, I already helped cover up a man's death, right? I'm kind of in it now. Yeah. And so like she and Emily are confronting Sean and they're like, you know, we're going to say Emily's back. She's alive. She was hiding from you because you were abusive. It was your idea to fake her death with this insurance scam. Um, and Sean is kind of like, I can't listen to this. Leaves. Yeah. Okay, this is a series of events that makes no sense to me, Ian. They confront him in his house. He's like, I can't handle this. I'm going to leave. Checks into a hotel. Yeah. Goes to work the next day. And then his his boss is like, have you seen the news? And it's like, uh, mommy blogger solves mystery. Yeah. And it's a blog post, linking a blog post to Stephanie's blog, where she, she reveals, in quotes, the truth about Emily's disappearance, painting Sean as the person who was physically abusing Emily, who possibly convinced this twin to commit suicide and was going to commit this insurance fraud. And Sean is like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Sean is like, um, is there a lawyer, like a company lawyer I could use? (laughs) And also, because he's British, he's like, do you have any like out of the country assignments for me to possibly do? This scene is so ridiculous, Ian. I have to say this is probably my the worst scene in the whole book for me because I feel like this is the most ridiculous British stereotype I've ever seen. They're like, oh, Sean and his boss are two British men who don't talk about personal matters or feelings and are very (laughs) stuffy. And so Sean is like, oh, my wife is fraying me. And the boss is like giving him a look and kind of making these noises like, I don't want to hear about your personal business. And then he's like, yes, we do have an office in um, Dublin that there's some accounts that need to be taken care of. I hear the the golfing over there is quite nice. (laughs) And Sean is like, ah, yes, I understand. 
and then he's like, well, uh, bloody hell and all that. Like, that that's exactly what this scene is, Ian. It really is. Honestly, <laughs> like, I think I listened to this on audiobook and I was so distracted by the reader's very <laughs> awful attempt at a British accent that, like, that... Like, I wasn't even <laughs> totally aware of how bad the writing was because, like, the British accent was so bad. This just, I was like, are you kidding me? Well, also, this ties into, like, the only, like, excuse or reason for Sean's perspective in the book is to just kind of, like, wrap up his story. Yeah. In my mind, anyway, it was like the author wasn't sure how to, like, finish his arc off without just like giving you his perspective on what he did. Yeah. So he gets out of the country and is basically escaping being prosecuted that way. And then we get kind of this little bit of an epilogue here where Emily is now living back in her house with her son, Nikki. Sean is in England or in the UK somewhere. And she's like, maybe I'll go see him again, but we're going to get divorced And I have my old job back and my life is back to being what I wanted it to be. I I shouldn't have done that whole insurance fraud thing, whatever. Um, And everything seems fine until some detectives show up at her door. I guess like she just dropped her ring in the car of the man she murdered. You know, when you're trying to push a car off a cliff and you accidentally drop the ring in the window of the car? That has already been identified by police officers <laughs> in a different crime. And they're like, we know this is your ring. Uh, she says to the police that Sean had given that ring to Stephanie. Yeah, when they were living together. I do, even though I think this entire setup is absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> I like the idea that Emily is like, okay, now I'll just give Stephanie up. Yeah. Like, I've just been, like, holding on to her in case I need her, and now I need her to take this fall for a murder. Yeah. So, you know, she's she once again brings up that comparison of, like, she's the fish. Yeah. Right? Like, she's the sucker, <laughs> and now I'm, like, feeding her to the wolves. Yeah. She's like, you might want to talk to her about that. The police, who are very dumb, leave. And then she packs up her shit and she's like, I'm going to take Nikki somewhere. We're going to be on the run. I'm just going to live my life. And that's the end of the book. When I think about this book and Gone Girl also, I think there's like an issue of like, I think you can do a story that's like about a woman that's secretly a sociopath and like ruining a man's life. Right. Yeah. But then you do another person does the exact same thing and you're like, all right, is this saying something about women? Women. Well, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it feels like now it's starting to become a trope. Yeah. And it's like, what is that saying? Because like at one point in the book, Sean, his his character, when it's his perspective is like these these bitches, these women are like ruining my life. And <laughs> what am I going to do about like all these women in my life? Like, so many of them. So many Stephanie and Emily. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. Yeah. Right. Like, I think Gone Girl had a whole purpose with its kind of, like, the character of Amy and it being a larger commentary on, like, relationships. And it's like, yeah, they're fucked up, but is the nature of relationships fucked up? Like, I thought, like, it worked that into, like, a narrative. It had a theme. It had a, it had a strong theme, right? This is just, like, I don't know, what if a woman was a sociopath and <laughs> faked her death for insurance money? Yeah. Because she felt like it? I don't know. It's a little all over the place. So let's wrap up the movie now. Yes. Uh, We just had the scene between Steph and Emily where it seems like maybe they've kind of like. Agreed to work together. Yeah. 
uh, we see that Sean is brought in by the police for questioning, mm-hmm. right? And then let go on bail. And then he goes to Stephanie's house. Or is it his? It's Stephanie's house, right? Yep. Don't we see her sell her house later, or is it just on the market? It was on the market, Ian. Okay. There was no sold sign. Okay, okay. <laughs> it's it's not it's not a mistake. Um, he goes just to Stephanie's house, and Stephanie is just kind of like, oh, I shouldn't be talking to you because of the investigation. Yeah. And Sean is like, listen, if you're working with Emily, she will fuck you over. Yeah. Like, do not She's do crazy. this. She's crazy. <laughs> and and uh, Stephanie's just very dismissive of this, right? Yes. Sean eventually goes home. And Emily is there, and it seems like it's going to be a confrontation between the two of them. And I love that Emily is in this, like, housewife dress. Yes. Like, very clearly being like, is this what you want? It, like, flares out in this really absurd way. Yeah. Um, It seems like they're about to have this huge fight or something's about to happen. But then Stephanie shows up with a gun. Yep, Chekhov's gun. We saw the gun earlier. Of course, it had to come back. Yes. She's waving it around. She's really pissed off. I love at one point, Sean and Emily start having this, like, argument, like, over Sean's writing. Yeah. And Stephanie is just like, hey, hey, I'm, I have the gun. <laughs> and she's kind of, like, t- like, waving it around, talking about shooting them. And then she shoots Sean. Yeah. And there's a moment of, like, panic where she's like, oh, my God, what did I do? Like, we have to call the the ambulance. And Emily is like, oh, my God, I didn't want this to happen. I killed my sister. Yeah. And then suddenly her attitude changes. And she's like, show's over. Yeah. And you realize that the whole thing (laughs) was an absurd, over-the-top setup by Stephanie and Sean. There was no no bullet in the gun. They used a squib, I guess, to, like fake him getting shot the police were supposed to be there listening in emily though has swiped their microphones so the confession was not caught on tape like they hoped and she has somehow misdirected the cops to go to darren's house one the dad yes from the from the group um and so they're like oh my god their plan was foiled and then emily what, reaches into the couch and pulls out a different gun? <laughs> yeah, another gun. <laughs> Chekhov's other gun. <laughs> couch gun, Ian. Couch gun. Chekhov's couch gun. Now she has a gun, and it's a real gun. And it turns into this confrontation again, and it's her talking about her plan and all of this stuff, and she actually shoots Sean in the shoulder. <laughs> I love the difference between, like, the fake gunshot and the real one. Yeah. Like, the fake one is, like, bright red, and then he gets really <laughs> shot, and yeah. it's, like, a, a deeper red. And he's like, oh, my God, you actually shot me. <laughs> and then Emily is, like, threatening Stephanie. It's kind of turning into a standoff when suddenly we realize that Stephanie has been live vlogging the entire thing on, like, a webcam on her shirt. Yes. She out emily Emily. Yes. And so Emily is now caught, like, you know, she Confessing can't, to yeah, she can't undo it. She shot someone on, on, live on camera. web camera. <laughs> she kind of is trying to, like, run away, and Stephanie's trying to stop her and is like, don't go, like, Nikki still needs a mother, which I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, you're going to go to jail. We we get <laughs> We get Emily stopping in the middle of the road. Maybe she's going to shoot Stephanie. And then a car comes 
and hits Emily. Yes. And what's his name? Darren? Darren. Darren steps out of the car (laughs) and makes a whole quip about hybrids and them being quiet. (laughs) This part. So ridiculous. It's it's too much. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. And then Emily's like crawling on the ground all hurt and Stephanie's like, oh, don't do that. Yeah. Like kind of joking at her expense. It kind of. I don't know. It's. The movie, for the most part, maintains a good balance of, like, it being a thriller, but, like, with really absurd, goofy jokes and, like, one-liners. Sometimes it dips a little too far into, like, the thriller notion, and here it kind of swings too far in the comedic ending moments. For sure. This This is a little bit too wild for me, for sure. I love the... Sean getting shot versus the fake shot. I think that's funny. That's funny. You know? The only thing, though, is when did Steph... Because, like, when did Stephanie and Sean agree to team up? We don't know. But, like, there's that moment when he goes to talk to her, and it's just the two of them, and Stephanie is basically like, fuck off. No, yeah. I can't be seen with you. But, like... Maybe that was the note she left him in his car. Yeah, because she did leave him something in the car. I thought it was like incriminating evidence. That's what I to thought frame too. Him, but maybe it's maybe a note. it was a note. Was that after? Yeah, after she meets up with Emily. No, but after she tells like Sean to like leave her alone. I don't know. I don't know either. It's just like if they were alone together for a moment, wouldn't that be the time she's like, "Hey, listen, like we need to stop Emily." Yeah. Right? yeah. I just don't get why one moment she would be like, "Get away from me." And then the next moment be like, we have to work together on this. Yeah. It just like, and you easily could have not had that moment of them alone. Yeah. They could have just cut that moment. Yeah. So I just, I just don't understand the the plot of like where their plan and like team up happened. Yeah. There's a little bit of an epilogue here too, where we see that. Stephanie's blog is thriving and now she has a side business where she is a detective. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is just the uh, the like um, end cards, right? Like the. Well, there's that video part where she says we hit a million subscribers. That's right. That's right. And then also I have my side business now. (laughs) She investigates crimes like unsolved crimes now (laughs) i love that kind of combination of like mobbing blogging and uh unsolved mysteries like that kind of combination that are both very obviously like women dominated fields for sure then we have end credit cards where we find out more information we find out that Stephanie has brought 30 criminals to justice. (laughs) (laughs) She's now dating someone from the city, which was a joke from earlier. Yeah. Uh, Nikki is living with his dad, Sean, and they're doing fine. Yeah. And Emily is serving a 20 year sentence in prison. And has adjusted quite well. And we get just a moment of her playing basketball that's like very funny. Very funny. So I read and I watched it. There was originally supposed to be a whole ending sequence that was a dance sequence adina what so it starts with uh stephanie at the school she's told like oh there's a body in the the playground and she runs out there and it's sean and then he's like i have something to ask you and it turns into like a flash mob number of like a dance sequence with Sean and like other kids and then other people show up and then like everyone from the cast is there. Like the detective is there and Gene Smart is there. Oh my God. It goes on for like five minutes 
it's so long. And then it turns into Sean proposing to Stephanie. What? Yes. Oh, my God. And apparently, because this was all filmed, it was all edited. Apparently, test audiences did not like this. I can understand why. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. I think it could have worked because, like, this movie, like, towed the line of, like, being, like, weirdly comedic and, like, very camp and goofy. And even the fact that, like, all the cast of characters were there made it feel very surreal. Like, yes. it felt like the end credits where it's like, the, what do they call it? Like a roll call or a cast call? Yes, yes. At the end where everyone's, like, showing up. I think if it just wasn't so fucking long, it is so long, Adina. I was, like, <laughs> scrubbing through YouTube. I'm like, God, it's still going. It's still going. It's yeah. still happening. If it was just short, it could have maybe seemed like a gag. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it could have worked. Um, but I understand why they cut it. Yeah, I kind of like that there's no romance between them at the end. Yeah, I... Because I think they've been through too much, and also it's been too weird. I agree. I just think they could have had a scene together at the end where it's like, hey, let's yeah, just, like, yeah. handshake. Good job. Good work. Yeah, sorry well, you got shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I think they should have had an ending moment together. Yeah. Not that they should have been together, but, like, I would have liked to see some resolution between them. I agree. I think that would have been good. But there are rumors that there's going to be a sequel movie made. Yeah. Not a book, a sequel movie. Which so. I am very excited about because I think that they can put... Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively together for like much more of the film. Yes. Right? Yes. I want that. I want to see. But like, but then again, Anna Kendrick has changed a lot. That's true. So like she wouldn't quite be the same character as like the beginning of this mm-hmm. film. But I think they could write a script that like plays with what works so well in the fir- in this movie. Yes. And I want more outfits. And more outfits. <laughs> more fashion. Yes. So Ian. We've come to the moment. Which one is better? I feel very confident saying that even though it was a little tonally maybe inconsistent, I have to go with the movie on this. The movie is just fun. It's very fun. And that's what that's what sells me on it. That's what wins in the end here. The movie is a good time, right? It is. If you're just looking for a very silly and funny and engrossing film, this is it. And like, I don't... If you didn't have Anna Kendrick and Blake Lively in it, I can't even... Like, I don't know how successful it would I know. Have been. The casting is really what it's sells so it. It's so crucial. Henry it's, Golding is really Henry good Henry Golding Sean. is great. Yeah, just like all the supporting cast is great. Like I said, sometimes it... I thought her investigation, even though I appreciate the lengths we see her go to, I thought that dragged a little bit. A little bit. The ending was a little... Tonally all over the place. Yeah, and also a little convoluted, I thought. Like, even though I like some of the turns. The book was just... um. It just ended up being very generic. Yeah, I don't think it did anything new or different enough to be that remarkable. Which is so disappointing because the very beginning, the first 40 pages being in that mommy blogger tone were funny in a way. And it was interesting to read like the plot developing from that perspective. Not that I think the whole book could have worked in that format. No. But I wish there was maybe more of a contrast because I thought... I knew the blogging would end at some point and then go into her actual perspective. And I thought, we're going to see a huge shift in her. Yeah, it's going to be very different. She's going to be real cynical or like shitty or like not a good mom or whatever. But there wasn't really that big of a shift, even though it it acts like there was. 
she was still basically the same. Yeah. So I don't know. I just didn't. There wasn't any core to this book that stood out to me. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely a movie. Yeah, it's a movie for both of us. Let's do lightning round. Yeah, let's get the lightning. So first up for lightning, we have to mention the scene. It's a part of one of the flashbacks to Emily and Stephanie talking where Stephanie becomes upset. I think it's part of her like flashback discussion. And uh, Emily is kind of comforting her and then they start making out. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and, and Yes. And I really love this because I there's been kind of a, a sexual tension between them. Like a kind of chemistry where you're like, am I imagining it or is it just like yeah, their characters? What's are, going on yeah. here? Yeah, and then you have like obviously the painting of uh, Emily in the house that's like an upward shot of like her naked. Yeah, so there's kind of like these sexual overtones going on like almost throughout the film, mm-hmm. and I love the idea of. Maybe these two will get together. You know what I mean? Maybe Stephanie and Emily will like somehow fall in love. Yeah. Fuck Sean over. And, you know, like that element is in play in your mind, too. So, yeah, it's kind of fun how this ends up like they kind of break away and Stephanie's like, I'm sorry. And Emily just kind of laughs it off and is not bothered. No, it's very funny. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Uh, Next for lightning round. I just have to read you some of these parts involving the brother fucking because (laughs) the book is very silly in these parts and I just have to read you some of it. Okay. So this is from when Stephanie is talking about when she met her half brother for the first time. The fact that this hot guy was my half brother took a while to sink in. I kept expecting him to say that he was a distant cousin who happened to resemble my dad. There was another weird detail I should add. At that point, I looked almost exactly like my mother when she was around my age. I still resemble her, though less than I used to. I looked like her in the wedding photo, and my newfound brother Chris looked like my, our dad. And there we were, the happy bridal couple, straight off the top of the wedding cake, cloned and reanimated 20 years later. What can I say? It was hot. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm going to skip a little bit forward, and this is where she's talking about how they didn't just have sex one time, it, like, lasted many years. And she says, people who wonder why we couldn't stay away from each other and behave like decent human beings, why we couldn't get over it and move on. All I can say is that they never had something like that happen to them. It lasted on and off for years. Things got crazy. There were a couple months when just looking at my mom and dad's wedding photograph would get me hot. (laughs) How sick is that? Is there a 12-step group for this? There is probably a group for survivors of everything that has happened in my life. Not that I would have gone. I just... Why does she keep bringing up the wedding photo of her parents? I know. It's so weird, Ian. Well, that's the thing. It's so (laughs) weird and twisted and, like, you can't relate to it at all, right? No. So there's this weird, interesting aspect to her character. But then by the end of the book, it's just like, Eh. she's just a dumb, whatever, a dumb, gullible mom. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like it kind of (laughs) abandons that whole thing. I know. But yeah, those parts are so wild. (laughs) Uh, There are just two kind of lines I wanted to bring up. Like I said, there were so many funny lines in this film. The one is... Uh, Stephanie is going to be watching uh, Nikki one afternoon, kind of surprisingly, like I think it's the first time. And Stephanie is on the phone with Emily and is like, oh, yeah, no, I can do that. Um, uh, Are there any dietary restrictions for him that I I should be aware of? And Emily is like, "Uh, yeah, don't feed him shit that he doesn't like. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I just Very love funny. that. I know, yeah. like Emily's character and the contrast with uh, Stephanie is so good. Uh, then there's a line where uh, Darren, yeah. I keep forgetting his name, Darren's character is either talking to Stephanie or just seeing that she is friends now. He, I'm sorry, he finds out that Stephanie is watching Nikki again. That, like, uh, Stephanie and Emily are friends now, and, like, she's taking care of Nikki after school some days, and Darren is like, oh, like, are you getting paid for that? And she's like, no, because we're friends, and that's what friends do, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's like, oh, I didn't know you took that nanny job. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so she kind of, like, walks away after saying that they're friends, blah, blah, blah. And Darren turns to his, like, child and is like, she doesn't know that she's working for free. <laughs> but I, I, that line's funny in the moment, but it's even funnier if you consider it within the context of the movie. Because that's essentially what Emily does to Stephanie when she leaves. Yeah. Like, that's her whole reason for befriending her, essentially. In is, the book, at least. In the book, yeah, is to be like, I need someone to watch my child yeah. when I disappear. <laughs> so I'm going to befriend this girl because she'll take it personally. Yeah. And, like, take care of my child for me. Yep. So I kind of thought that was a funnier, like, larger joke in the film. Definitely. Uh, that's it for lightning round. Yep. And that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon. We have our discord community that all our patrons are invited to be a part of that we talked about up top. Um, and then you also get monthly bonus episodes. We come out with an episode every month just for our patrons to listen to, which is really cool. And also, if you ever want us to do an episode, quickest way to do that is to become a patron because we always prioritize patron requests. Yeah. Uh, if you would like to support the podcast in another way, you can leave us a review or star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, that helps with like the algorithms or whatever, us being more visible on those platforms. And um, you can follow us on social medias. We have Instagram. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. You can find all those links at CoverToCredits.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.